Senator Malcolm Roberts, welcome to our nation today. A decision to join the Australian Defence Force, be it Army, Navy or Air Force, is a life-defining decision. The change that every recruit who becomes a soldier goes through is forever. Military training and active service is an experience that reshapes a person's life. Our Australian Defence Force personnel must be highly skilled, self-reliant, brave and courageous, and many become wired for conflict. The physical, emotional and mental demands on individuals in deployment are impossible to imagine for those of us who haven't served. When our Defence Force personnel finish serving our country, the transition back into civilian living, for many, is challenging. For some it is too challenging. An Australian Institute of Health and Welfare report found that from 2001 to 2017, 432 serving or former members suicided. In 2018 alone, 33 suicided. Ex-servicemen are 3.1 times more likely to suicide if discharged for medical reasons than if discharged voluntarily. And there are in excess of 5,000 ex-servicemen and women who are homeless over a 12-month period. Successive governments have more than enough data that shows too many of our defence personnel are not getting the support needed to cope with defence force work or cope after that work is finished. A Senate inquiry found that one in four returned soldiers had experienced a mental disorder and the rate of suicidal thoughts, plans and attempts was double that of the general population. I'll say that again, one in four. It has taken so long, needlessly and excruciatingly long, for the Australian Government to recognise the unique nature of military service and to establish a Royal Commission into Defence and Veteran Suicide. It's disappointing that the government's own agency, the Department of Veteran Affairs, has shown disregard, disrespect and callousness towards our veterans and that it has taken until this year for Parliament to force a Royal Commission. The stories are numerous and share a common theme of delay, deny and destroy. Jess Bird was a private with Townsville's Infantry Battalion who served an eight-month deployment to Afghanistan in 2009 to 2010. He had been pursuing a claim for permanent impairment for almost two years. And just weeks after losing the claim and pleading for help, Jess committed suicide. After his death, the Department of Veteran Affairs approved his claim. As a nation, Australia must do better to recognise the service, sacrifice and immense challenge that our servicemen and women and their families face, especially when it comes to returning to regular lives. The Australian Government provides nearly $12 billion in federal funding to support 325,000 veterans and their families each year, yet too many remain unsupported. For some veterans, only other veterans understand well enough to help heal and reintegrate. Today, Sam Kavanagh joins us. Sam set up Bootstraps, a group for veterans. He and Bootstraps are dedicated to Australians who have laced up a boot in service of our country. Sam served 20 years in the Australian Army in both full-time and reserve roles. He was in the Combat Engineers, Signals and Corps of Intelligence. He still currently serves in the Army Reserve. Sam's father served for 30 years in the RAAF. Sam started bootstraps in his shed in 2017 and moved into the current Gatton Centre in 2019. And in the two years since, bootstraps has had over 350 attendees in its leather classes. Welcome, Sam. G'day, Malcolm. Thank you for having me. A pleasure, mate. After visiting your, your centre, a real pleasure. Mate, in which Australian Defence Force did you serve and for how long? 
I've served in the Australian Army uh, just over 20 years in full time in reserves. And what did you do in the forces? I've had a, a number of jobs in, in three different corps. I spent uh, 10 years as a combat engineer. Uh, then I uh, got out and ran my own business for a while. Then I re-enlisted into the Signals Corps and then later transferred into intelligence. When and why did you leave, mate? Uh, I left full-time uh, in 2016 um, for personal reasons, medical, personal, uh, yeah, reasons that uh, were... I needed to do it at the time. Um, and I moved from uh, my last posting in Darwin down to... Uh, Lockyer Valley here where I live now. Okay. And were you proud of your military service? I still am. I uh, am very proud of the uniform I wear, very proud of the uh, the flag I serve under. Um, I'm from a military family and uh, as far as I'm concerned, anyone who served in the military and or the three uh, civilian services, police, fires and ambos, uh, we're on the same boat and I, uh, I'm very proud of that. Yes, and, and so I, I wanted to ask that question because you're not doing this because of some uh, pain with the, with the army. You're doing this because of the soldiers who the army's released, right? Hey, absolutely. Um, I, I have no regrets of my time in the military. Um, I believe there are certain uh, measures that need to be changed, but that's my opinion. However, uh, yeah, very much proud of, of what I've done and uh, supporting those that I've served with. So after leaving, mate, what was your challenge? Uh, well, there was lots of them. Um, I found that um, not having the, the direction, not having a mission per se was, was pretty difficult. Um, and one day you're in uniform, one day you're not. And it's, it's very much a, a stark change. And I also found that where I was, there was nothing really available for uh, service personnel or ex-ADF members of my generation. Um, there was nothing really out there, so uh, after a, a period of feeling sorry for myself, I decided to stop whinging about it and to do something about it, and that's where Bootstraps was born. Well, that, that's pretty important. Let's dwell on that issue for a minute. Um, when people enter the Australian Army, which has an environment of very, very strong reliance on teamwork and mateship, they're actually stripped of their identity, aren't they? And you just end up with your second second name on your shirt, and that's it. Everyone's known as, as Private or Corporal. Kavanagh uh, or whatever. Um, and so at the end of service, after being ingrained in that for say 20 years, uh, people are just turned out, but they're not given a re-entry back into civilian life. And they're not, um, they're, the, uh, the, the enlistment process is not reversed. They're not, they're not given a gradual exit, are they? No, that's, that's very true right across uh, all the ADF, uh, not just Army. So it's, we're, we're trained to to do our job and like you said we're broken down from the individual to the collective and um, but then we're not detrained um, they pretty much like I said before one day you're in uniform the next day you're not and that's that's how how stark it is for somebody who's spent any length of time doesn't matter what job what service uh, you, you're all taught to think the same to work the same as a team and then in the next minute literally you're not you click your fingers and you no longer are so that is a difficulty that a lot of us find. Some people don't, but a lot of people do. And that's an area that I think uh, defence should concentrate on a lot more than they do. I believe that they're, they're working towards that. Um, the first time I got out in 2004 before I re-enlisted, 
uh, was way different to what it is now. And granted, the military is trying to uh, acknowledge those uh, shortcomings they have in that regard. Um, but there, there could be a lot more done for that. But it is difficult for a, a, a soldier, a sailor, or an airman to to leave the service and then the next day they have, have no direction. It's, it, it is kind of hard. Yeah, let's emphasize that because, you know, it's, it's not the same as going from one company, uh, re, uh, resigning and then moving to the next company a couple of days later and starting again. When you enter the armed forces, you're stripped of your uh, civilian identity and you're given an army identity and you identify with the army, for example, you then might have 20 years in there. And so you've built up this enormous sense of, of who you are based upon who the army is. And so it's not the same as just changing companies. When you come out, there's no de-stripping of that. There's no demobilization. There's no reversal process. And so it really is quite cold to people when they just come straight out. It is. It absolutely is. Um, there's a sort of a, a joke that you say that, uh, and I'm sure this works for Navy and Air Force as well, but um, you can take the the soldier out of the army, you can never take the army out of the soldier. And it's very difficult for somebody in any of the defence force or any of that mindset to then transfer that across to a completely different environment. Um, we, we sort of, a lot of us go into the police force or fireys or ambulance because it is very, it's a similar genre, it's a, it's a similar um, way of life, I guess. But anything else is just completely different, and um, that's why a lot of us feel lost. But even those forces are, are fairly different from the Australian Defence Forces, where there's that in, the ingraining process. Um, and, and then, you know, the Romans knew, Sam, they acknowledged this way back, what's that, two and a half centuries, two and a half thousand years ago, that um, when a person goes off to battle, he or she change, comes back completely different. Battle changes people with what they see in battle. They're radically changed, and men, men and women don't necessarily know that or, or understand it. And any trauma, um, yeah, absolutely. And it, it is, it is a trauma, whether it be um, a road accident, a, a war environment, uh, training environment, any trauma that uh, you're. I'm not medically qualified here, so I'm going to put that caveat out there that I'm, I'm not uh, medically trained to say this, but anyone who I believe who, who in, is involved in a trauma or experiences a trauma will change whether they realise it or not. Yes, even uh, someone not, not um, having to confront other people and kill other people. A journalist, I was reading an article last night from a journalist who was in Afghanistan for 15 years, and he said there are, there are things there that stay with him all the time, uh, just horrific things that he saw um, and he's a different person. Yeah, absolutely. And it, yeah. Um, yes, I believe that defence person or personnel are, are different in the, in what we're trained and, and how we think and how we do what we do. Um, but I also believe that there are similarities with, with civilians as well in the sense of we all deal with, with the trauma, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, I don't want to come across as someone who's beating the drum for defence, saying we're great, we're great, we, we, we should have all these things and more than what we've got. But there's definitely needs to be an acknowledgement of what we train to do and how we are 
essentially bred for any length of time is is completely different to anything else that this country has to offer. So it is difficult to leave that. Thank you for emphasising that. That that was very important because um, you know something that's minor, minor or trivial to you and me may be major to someone else who had a different background, different upbringing. So thank you for that. And you're not. Do, I'm not wanting to say in any way that the military is um, superior or inferior. What I'm saying is that it's pretty traumatic for someone because you've been conditioned over this way for many for 20 years to suddenly get turned out. Yeah, and that's that's the hard one is. It's, uh, if you feel like you've been thrown on the on the, the rubbish heap um, and a lot of guys particularly ones I get through here and I talk to they, they all feel that that when, when you, you're if you've been transitioned out through say a medical discharge and this is a culture that the military definitely needs to stand up and and, um, and wear um, they, they treat people completely different as soon as you are medically in unfit, and you're you're transitioning out it's as if you've become a pariah um, and unfortunately that's a culture I, I can't say that about uh, Air Force or, or Navy um, so hand on heart I don't know how they treat their people because I haven't had that direct experience but I personally have experienced it as well as most of the guys that come here have all said that as soon as you are medically unfit and are being transitioned out it's as if you have just become the enemy and everybody turns on you and that's the culture that's inbred into you and i think that's wrong um, and then once you actually are out there's nothing really out there per se that you know about because you get a, a week's transition training before you leave and that tells you here here this is how you put a dba claim in here's some of the support people you can see thanks very much see you later so you've spent 20 years serving and thinking along a certain line and then you get it one week to basically uh, filter all that out and then you're on your own. There are other uh, challenges as well, Sam, because, you know, uh, males in particular, but increasingly females these days, are the breadwinners. And so a male may have 20 years providing an income for his, for his wife and kids and all of a sudden, if he's demobilised in a week, um, after being turned out because he's not medically fit anymore, he or she has got to look for an income, got to look for an alternative source of uh, providing for his family. It may not be in, in the may not have the ability to do that because of medical discharge. And so there are all kinds of psychological factors, material needs, basic stuff that's impacting men and women. Absolutely, and that's that's all that is on top of whilst you're trying to deal with DBA and and uh, allied health and and trying to get yourself squared away from a physical and or mental position and then the actual day-to-day -day of trying to pay the bills um one thing that a lot of people forget about and i know this from personal experience is it doesn't matter who the breadwinner is or who the actual military ex-military or current is the service person is the family to get forgotten about now my wife and my son have served 20 years vicariously in the in the military well not my son because he's only nine but that poor little bugger has no idea why dad's cranky or uh, hurting um, but that's he didn't ask for that my wife didn't ask for that but she's had to put up with it as well and I'm not the only one and I know for a fact that there are thousands of families out there who have to put up with this 
you mentioned um, the, the gentleman that committed suicide. Imagine what his family had to go through whilst he was still alive and what they're going through now. So one defence personnel broken being sort of thrown into the, into the heat has a ripple effect on so many people. So it's not just the digger or the, or the, the sailor that's standing there going, hey, I need help. It's their families, it's their kids. My son didn't deserve what he, what he was born into. My wife didn't deserve it, but she'd been with me for 20 years. And, and that's the hard one. I, I, can, I can take it on the chin and, and deal with what I deal with because I have to deal with it, but why should they? That's a great point. So you've established that it's a significant challenge when people leave. So where did you get help? Um, eventually, I, I did find help, I've got to say. Um, I, I fought DVA for the better part of 20 years. Did um, you say you fought them? I personally did when I first got out and tried my claims um, and was knocked back and um i've got to tell you the the experience that i had if it wasn't for my wife and my son i probably would have gone the same way as uh the guys you talked about actually i would have there's no two ways about it i'm not going to sugarcoat it um but then i re-enlisted because they said there's nothing wrong with you you're not broken all right let me back in so i went back in um i eventually after nearly half a dozen advocates and and organisations, I finally found an advocate that helped me, and I did get the help. Uh, for one of my injuries, it was 24 years from when I did the injury to when I actually got help. Um, so, say that again, 24 years? 24 years. So, that look, it is what it is. You, you, you can dwell on that, you can harp on I've been through all that, I've, I've gone down every rabbit hole, I've felt sorry for myself, I've blamed everyone else. But eventually I had to either let it get me or, or, or beat it. And I, I kind of figured that these demons in my life are going to be with me for the for the ride, but I'm the one driving the bus. They're not driving it anymore. And that's what got me to start bootstraps. I looked around. There was nothing in my area. Um, I've discussed with you when you came here that, why this all started. And, yeah, that, that's, that's what I do now. This is my therapy. I help other people and I teach them leather work and... You can either let the demons drive the bus or you can drive the bus and tell them to sit in the back seat and enjoy the ride. So you took responsibility, but not everyone is capable of doing that or capable of doing it quickly. Um, it so wasn't quick. It wasn't quick. It, that's true. It, it took, it, you asked my wife for the better part of 10 years. So what do you, do, do veterans feel the current federal funding is being spent well to support veterans? That's a difficult question because um, I would be talking from a place of my personal opinion and that of, of my guys here. However, it would be a very small portion of the, the population. From what I've experienced and what I've talked to with uh, my guys here, uh, no, they don't. Um, the, I guess the, the topic and, and and what we're going through is is coming out more and is being talked about more, but they're very slow in rolling out where the help needs to go. Um, as, as we all know, any government generally works at glacial speed when it goes to handing funds out compared to when they come to raining funds in. Um, 
a lot of my guys are saying that uh, they're, they're missing the point, that they're not targeting the audience that they're after correctly. Um, a lot of organisations have great ideas, but they're not they're not ideas that are needed for veterans and defence members because we are a unique group, unique mindset. What works for, say, civilian organisations doesn't necessarily work for, for veterans. Um, I'm not going to point fingers. It's not my place to, to do that. But I can say that in my experience with some organisations I've dealt with, they have a very... Uh, one size fits all mentality that they have let's all sit around the fire and sing kumbaya and, and, and how are you feeling and, and a group effort and, and touchy feely sort of it doesn't work for defence members it certainly doesn't work for a lot of army blokes or navy guys or girls or, or air force and I think that they're missing I, I'm not sure how to describe this they got the intent, they're just not delivering it correctly. So uh, we've seen a lot of microservice organisations spread up, uh, sprout up, uh, um, dealing with say individual issues like PTSD or a chemical impact on, on people, um, a particular war, and, and that seems to indicate that that soldiers or former soldiers are finding them more effective than say the DVA or the RSL and we're not trying to criticize anyone here because they want someone who's experienced what they've experienced in that narrow field and so that makes it very personable and they're more likely to unload um, and, and, and speak from the heart and from the gut about those issues because they know the person next to them or that they're speaking to has experienced that and understands what the hell they're talking about. Absolutely. Um... And I actually last week was at a uh, an ESO forum that was held and sponsored by RSL Queensland and Legacy. And RSL Queensland have recognised the need for organisations such as what you just explained, the, the niche groups, because a, a Somali veteran um, may not be able to uh, associate as well with, say, a Vietnam veteran or somebody who's done... Um, work in the Gulf in on the ships probably wouldn't uh, relate so much to to army guys or NATO or Air Force so the need for those individual groups is definitely there but there's also that need for that overarching um, what, we, what they what they're trying to describe as one voice so they've they've recognized the need they've recognized the uh, the areas that have been made in the past they've acknowledged those and they're moving forward on that um, bootstraps, we're unique in the sense of we're one of the few, if not, I'm not sure I'm talking correctly, but I'm pretty sure we're the only one who uses Leatherwork as our vehicle to help and to get our groups together. But each individual group works because of the, the dynamic they set up is not the one size fits all. Yeah, and, and that was something that came through. I mean, we had one, two, three, four, five people in the room of bootstraps when we when we visited your facility in Gatton, and um, there was a wonderful story about um, someone who um, had some issues, and he sat down and he's working on his leather, and um, and something that the person next door just said to him, you know, what are you making, mate? And he explained what he's making, 
And then, because it was a sincere approach and it was a personal approach and a personable approach, um, he started saying, well, the reason I'm making this is because of this. And that leads to another conversation which says, the reason I'm here is because of this. And, and yes. this is, these are the issues I'm having difficulty with. You can't script that. You, you've got to feel comfortable with someone before a male in particular will unload in that way. Uh, so it's very much setting up an informal in, um, environment where people feel safe and then they release when they want to, if they want to. Absolutely. Um, now, without detracting from, of, from some of the other organisations and, and their direction, there is an absolute need for the intervention if somebody gets to a certain point where medical or allied health needs to intervene and, and grab a hold of them. Yeah, I, I get that. But most of the time people, like you said, want to unload when they're ready to unload. Um, with defence personnel particularly, uh, we are sort of taught not to talk about things and, and not to not to ask for help because we've got to be strong, we've got to do all that bravado, yada, yada, yada. But to have that forced on us in, in any sort of way, people people walk away. If it's a clinical situation, they don't want to know about it. But if they're sitting down and and uh, and doing some something creative, and then they happen to have a chat, that's that's uh, exactly what we try and do. I mean, it's it's sort of a, a bit of a common joke that a taxi driver or a bartender you'll tell your problems to, but you won't talk to a doctor. So. It's that that's I think how, how how human dynamics works as well, and we try and provide that sense of of comfort and just no pressure, no judging. They come here and they talk when they want. We do have the networks for that allied health, uh, that immediate care. We've got contacts for that if somebody does need it, and we can recognise that in in that emergency situation. But that's not what we do. Yeah, and and what you're doing is you're setting up an environment that has people similar to the person who's got some issues. So he or she knows that they're going to be with like people. That's the first thing. Uh, you've got people like yourself who have been through the mill and so you know what they may be suffering, but you don't force it on them. Um, then it may be during leather work. It may be during a conversation before or after. It may be, I'll see you tomorrow at, at another venue, or it may be while you're having a cup of tea or a cup of coffee in a break, or it might be over lunch or whatever. And it just suddenly, that's the spark between two people and one decides I can trust this other person he does he or she does care about me so when they get that sense of care and that sense of uh, trust and that sense of understanding then all of a sudden they're unleashed and away they go and, and well you're not engineering it but you're allowing it yeah it's it's very much facilitating that um, that need of not only airing their, their their issues when they want to, but it's more of that a slow let down, a slow transition from defence into civilian. Uh, this bootstraps and other ESOs affords the, the ex-service person still that contact at their pace as opposed to complete cutaway and nothing. So now they can come to these organisations and then they can still relate to what they used to do, but slowly transition back to being a civilian. Right, it's that four-letter word starting with C that really matters, care, because uh, people know when that sense of care is established. And for different people, um, it takes a different amount of time. Some are quick to see you're caring. I mean, we can pick it up straight away when we met you. 
Um, but then we didn't have, we weren't coming there with, with the issue, issues. So other people might take some time or it might be someone else that they have the chemistry with. So you've got to set up that environment that's non-threatening. You've also got to have, haven't you, which I know you've got so strongly in the others we talk to. Okay, mate, you haven't told me anything. You haven't, that's fine. That's your choice. When you're ready, you will do that. It may not even be here, but we may have helped you along the process of, of unloading. And that's what's good. That's when that's released, that energy is released and, and those thoughts are released and the demons start coming to the surface. You can deal with them. Yeah, a lot of people, um, when they first come here, are very guarded. Um, I know I am still uh, with certain people or people I don't know. Um, but we've got other networks. Like somebody came here and, and he didn't particularly unload here, but he met some guys who ride bikes because a lot of us ride bikes and there's no other organisations. And through the networks that he made from our centre, was able to go somewhere else and that's where he found his peace and he found his niche. So I'm, I love the fact that we can facilitate that either here or through our other networks. And it's, I'm not here to fix everyone's problems. I don't think I ever will be able to, but if I can certainly help them um, and point them in a direction. And as my old man said to me once, you don't have to know everything, you just have to know where to find the answers. So speaking of answers and questions, what do you believe the Royal Commission will uncover? I have to be very careful with this question. It's one of the ones that you sent me that I'm very wary about because my personal opinion, I don't think it's going to uncover anything. Um, it'll uncover what they want it to uncover. Well, I asked you for your opinion. You gave it to me. Bluntly, that's fine. That's what I, I love about you. You're so open. Um, you're not needlessly aggressive or threatening but you're blunt and that, that's very important for establishing honesty. I can see why Bootstraps is working. Um, so, you know, this, this really, Bootstraps is, is about veterans for veterans. And even if the federal government did it perfectly, and certainly not, the Department of Veterans Affairs, there will still be always a need for veteran on veteran support. It's just like, well, it's just human on human support, isn't it? With someone from a like environment. Uh, absolutely. And, um, it, it makes sense, but we also try to include civilians um, and the family. I really don't like the the disparity between us and them. Sure, I'm I'm I'm, I'm never going to be a soldier. Uh, sorry, sorry, I say that again. I'll never be a civilian. I'm an ex-soldier because of what I've been through, and we all say that. But if I want our guys to be able to transition into the civilian world and and have that understanding of what it is, okay, you're no longer full time. You have to start heading in the direction of being a civilian, then I need to have civilians involved with them. And if I want the civilians to understand what it is to be a soldier, then I need to mix them together. So we have a, a, a mix of soldiers and civilians here. Um, we encourage family members because um, I, I very much believe that the families suffer as much, if not more, than the, the, the uh, defence member. Um, my, my wife's on board with this particular uh, organisation, she's the co-founder and on the executive team, uh, my son, I teach him leather work, he comes here all the time and I encourage people to do that. Um, a lot of our people come here and they bring their family. Um, one of the other guests that we have here today, Shari, she's here with her kids all the time and um, other guys come here with their kids which is really good because it, it, you make a, a physical object but more importantly you make a memory and that's that's probably the, the 
the key to bootstraps is is the good mindset as opposed to the bad mindset. So we've we've talked about some of the uniquenesses of of arm um, forces life uh, and the transitioning out or the lack of transitioning out. But what you point to is a really important point. These issues are with every human, to varying degrees. Uh, we don't know what a person has gone through, so we don't know what what they what what is troubling them. But it is a, it is a human condition, not just an armed forces condition. And I do want to emphasise what you just said, Sam, um, that you have you made it very clear to us right from the start that you're helping ex servicemen and women, but you're also helping anyone from the community as well. Yes, I am. I believe that. I, I still make sure that bootstraps is, is, is paramount to defence uh, because that's that's where my my uh, my heart lies, and civilians come in as well. But the the way to help our defence members is to use any tool I can at, at at my disposal, and if that is involving civilians in there, I'll definitely do that, and that works because I see a lot of our guys mixing with the civilians, and then they say, oh, "Yeah, saw him down the road in the bakery the other day, said good day." Otherwise, they would never. They just would have walked past that person. So it's it's the holistic approach of whatever we can use to provide some semblance of quality of life. Um, that's, yeah, that's that's how we do it. Well, let's let's move on now um, to our, our second guest because you just alluded to her a minute ago, and actually she's been out of the navy twenty years, so she's well down the road of transitioning. Uh, Dr. Sherry Sipple now joins us. Sherry was trained as an electronic warfare linguist, which is communications and intelligence, and she served for five years. Sherry left the Navy 20 years ago to study chiropractic and has worked as a chiropractor ever since. Twelve months ago, she stopped work due to severe burnout that manifested as extreme anxiety and major depression. She believes her time in the Australian Defence Force contributed to this, and she is grateful for the services that the ADF provides to veterans for mental health. Six months ago, Sherry started at Bootstraps. Three months ago, she began integrating back into her work. The support of Bootstraps, among other veterans, has been invaluable. She's a firm supporter of removing the stigma around mental health and believes it's one of the most poorly understood conditions today. Welcome, Sherry. Hi, Malcolm. Thanks very much for having me. So when you left the Navy, what sort of processes did you have in place to return to civilian living, Sherry? Well, it was actually really interesting hearing what Sam just said, that he had a whole week of preparation for exiting. I had one day, and even then it was a short day, and I felt it was geared at people who had been in for far longer than me and were much older than me. As a 23-year-old leaving, I don't feel I understood much about what they were trying to get across and I don't feel I left with any tools or any real understanding of how to integrate back into civilian life. And, and so we've talked with Sam about changing from one uh, company employee employer to another company. It's fairly, you know, it's fairly simple. Um, but in the armed forces in Australia, they make a very... The, the basis of the armed forces' success in Australia punches above its weight is that culture that they've developed over many, many decades. It's a very strong culture, um, and, and so you're indoctrinated into that. But even though you're only there for five years, it's still ingrained in you, isn't it? Absolutely. I went straight from a strict household 
I'd just turned 18 and my first experience at a real job outside of, you know, your high school jobs was this environment that it's not just a job, it is a way of life. It is ingrained into every fibre of your being that is now who you are every minute of the day. It's not, you know, you're not just doing a job nine to five. It's a 24-hour thing. So when you go one day from having this complete lifestyle with amazing camaraderie and mateship and, and living with people who just get you and understand you and have the exact same mindset to you're on your own in the free world and people don't understand you and they don't know where you're coming from and they they don't understand teamwork is, is probably a really big thing that Sam hit on. It's, it's really difficult to then have to work alongside people who don't understand this at all. And I wasn't given any skills to help me communicate better with people like this or understand them. Well, I had been changed into a typical Defence Force person. Right, and I'll just emphasise that for a minute because a few years ago, a couple of decades ago, I was a, a management and leadership consultant after being successful in, in the industry in which I had worked. Um, and one day I became aware uh, of the exceptional skills within the Australian Defence Forces because we'd not had the money in our country to have the massive firepower and, and all, of, all the military hardware. So we've done well with mateship. That's, that's ingrained in people. And I just want to emphasise the words. So I went to the Army to, to two senior people and try to get more of an understanding because I could see some of those practices would help me in my work, and it certainly did. But the Australian, you just said it becomes a way of life. It's ingrained in us. It's a 24-hour thing, not a thing from 9 to 5 in the, in the business world. It is who you are. Teamwork is extremely important. And so as an 18-year-old, you were indoctrinated into this culture your early years as in the workforce, that's the way you work. And all of a sudden you're turned out with, with only basically half a day. Uh, you're turned out and you've got to think for yourself on a completely different level without all the, the team support um, and without... You, you've got to be re-indoctrinated back in the, into the uh, civilian way of life. Yep, that's entirely true. So it's an, it's an enormous challenge. What sort of processes did they have for you? And did they have anything in particular? No, that was it. Um, but mind you, I'm speaking for 20 years ago and I believe that those processes have changed somewhat over the years, which is a positive sign that the Defence Force is able to implement changes. But back then it was like Sam said, I was there one day, gone the next. I had no support. No one helped me after I'd been relocated from Darwin down to Sydney no one helped me integrate into uni. Nobody helped me with how to even look for a place to stay. Like I, I had no idea how to house hunt. I had to go and ask some friends, what do I do? And they took me around to real estate agencies and, and were able to help me out in that respect. And I was very lucky that I did have some old school friends down there with me at the time. But, you know, with every challenge that I faced, I had no support, no one to turn to. I had no idea how to do a job interview. 
or how to write a cover letter to apply for a job. And I went through the same process that a lot of people go through where I constantly applied for jobs and looking back and now as a business owner, I laugh because half of them I didn't have a cover letter for and I had no idea what I was doing. And it took me six months to find a job out of pure dogged determination um, and I was very successful at that job. And then from there on, as I started learning myself how to integrate back into civilian life, I then developed the skills which, you know, have seen me be successful over the last 20 years. But I cannot attribute a single part of that to anything from the Defence Forces. I literally had nothing. Right, and, and we do need to emphasise, though, that the Defence Forces give you some pretty good skills for doing your job in the Defence Forces, that once you transition out and you get get to exceed, learn the new environment and succeed in the new environment outside, you can apply some of those skills to your work. So it gives you a fairly good grounding in, in how to get stuff done. Standards are very important in the Australian Defence Force and so on. You understand accountability and responsibility. So these are things that will be with you there for a life, lifetime. But it's a transition that's, le that's left wanting, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't deny that at all. I think uh, I learnt some amazingly valuable skills when I was in the forces, particularly around uh, time management and my ethics towards work. And as you said, my standards are extremely high. Um, and, you know, my work ethic is just work, work, work work which is a good thing in some ways but not so good in others i can speak to that my wife tells me mine is a problem it's too too strong <laughs> okay so you've struggled with mental health issues around anxiety and depression yeah. how did that come out come about and where did you turn to for help um so my first year when i was in the navy when i did my category training I was on a military base that was seven kilometres from the nearest public transport. I was in an unfamiliar environment. I didn't have a good support network. I was learning how to be part of this team and it was sort of a sink or swim mentality. Um, two thirds of the females on my course were sexually abused by one of the guys there in particular. Two thirds? Two thirds. Two thirds. By one person? Yep by one person and half a dozen of us decided to lodge a formal complaint that then made my life hell I was I was very naive and very innocent before I joined the forces and what happened through that process was my personality was torn to shreds you know this guy knew how to rot the system and we were targeted, we were bullied, we were harassed and I had absolutely no escape. So I started developing anxiety then and in retrospect there was probably some depression with that. Um, the commanding officer on the base, he was very good in trying to deal with it. Unfortunately, the guy who had assaulted all of us, he was even better at getting out of it. So there was no recourse for him, no follow-up, and I then had to spend the next three years of my career working alongside this guy and watching what he was doing to other people as well um, and still getting himself out of trouble. 
So the commanding officer offered all of us females um, counselling at the time. I believe he was following the systems and procedures. However, the bullying and harassment that we'd put up with going through the whole thing, the culture was you don't go and ask for help, you don't go and talk to anybody. The nature of our job is, you know, we had an extremely high security clearance as well. We didn't know that if we went and spoke to somebody, if our security clearance would be revoked. So we didn't talk to anybody and we didn't seek any help, none of us. And I'm actually still really good friends with quite a few of those females that uh, put in the complaint with me now. So I did not get any help for that for another two years and then I went and sought private counselling outside of the Defence Forces, far removed, where I thought there would be no way it would impact on my security clearance whatsoever. Wow. So is there a, a prevalence of mental health issues within our service and within our ex-service men and women who need more support? Absolutely. It's it's absolutely huge. I couldn't even predict the number of people, but I can tell you out of all of my close friends that I met when I was in the forces, a large percentage, the majority of them, have mental health issues around their time in the forces. Do you see a Royal Commission being able to uncover the problems? Well, like Sam, I think that's a, it's a very interesting question and a difficult one to answer. Um, in my opinion, I think anything that looks into creating changes and finding the source of issues is a positive thing. Is that the best way to spend our money? I can't answer that. Will they uncover stuff? Unlike Sam, I think it will uncover something. But I believe that when it comes to implementing the recommendations from the experts, that's where the Defence Forces may fall down a little. Um, and I know that change is something it takes years to actually implement, especially in an organisation as large as our Defence Force. Um, I don't think it will benefit anybody now, but hopefully 10, 15 years down the track, I'd like to be optimistic and say it will. The cynic in me says no, not at all. Thank you for your openness. Um, Let's transition back to the, the bootstraps. Um, you know, there is an old saying that says something like this. We, we send them, talking about our armed forces overseas to war, we send them, we bend them, but we don't mend them. So how did you learn about bootstraps? Uh, I learned about bootstraps through a private association with Sam. Sam knew my husband and... Then my husband introduced me to Sam, basically, so I could pay out on him <laughs> as a sailor talking to an army boy. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was just through that personal association that uh, Sam told me about bootstraps and I liked and followed them on Facebook. And then I was very fortunate to see that a course came up sponsored by the RSL and I was away on holidays and I messaged Sam and I said, put me on that course. Best thing I ever did. And, and, and to be fair, he's an engaging bloke, good-looking bloke, and, and he's very, <laughs> very approachable. And he and he's he's not dogmatic. He doesn't push stuff on you. He's he just he's just welcoming and warm, and he cares. Oh, he's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So how long have you been at Bib Church? Um, about six months now. Since uh, I think February was when the course started, January or February. And how in particular has it been useful to you, Sherry? Um, for me, it has given me a network to connect with ex-Defence Force people um, and it, it's been the first real environment that I've had in the 20 years since I've left where I can connect with people on a regular basis. Um, when you go in there, that camaraderie and the mateship, it is assumed once you walk in the door, it doesn't matter what service you are. Yes, they're going to pay out on me, and I get that. I'm the only sailor there. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm thick-skinned with that. But, you know, the, the ribbing and the mateship is just the best thing, um, and that's really what it gives you. It gives you that environment where you can just fit straight in and be comfortable. Yeah, you know, um, that kind of thing is, is so uniquely Australian. Maybe some parts of England have it too, or Britain has it, has it as well, but... Uh, being paid out over something, you know that you're immediately home. Absolutely. And then you can trust people and you, in particular you have better chemistry with some than others and you can go to them and just unload if you want to, when you want to, uh, and you know you're in safe hands. Yep, absolutely. And we don't care what everybody does now. You know, nobody cares that I'm a, a business owner and, you know, in a small town and... I don't care if they work at Woolworths. It's we have this thing in common, and that's what connects us. So going back to the way way you were talking a minute ago about the way of life, it's ingrained, twenty four hour thing. Who you are, your whole identity is around that defence forces. Now all of a sudden you're back with those same people, so you can have a foot in both camps and you can feel comfortable quickly, and and then you can well you just feel supported. Yeah, absolutely, and support is probably the key word there. Yeah, and it's, but it's not organised support. Here, Sherry, meet Malcolm. He's going to counsel you on this. He's going to give you this. It's not that. It's meet Sam, and who knows what will happen. Um, exactly. It's an environment where you come in, and Sam makes it very clear. He's not a counsellor. You're not there for counselling. You're there to meet people and learn leather work, and during that process, go on the journey of developing friendships and being able to talk to people who have similar experiences and mental health concerns as yourself. These are not easy issues to discuss. So getting that support when you want it and as you, as you de determine that you want it, that's really up to you. And then that's what's so beautiful about bootstraps. That is left to you, but it's there. There's something you know that they're caring. Yeah, absolutely. And nobody forces the issue because we all get it. If you want right. to talk, talk. If you don't, don't. Yeah, just make some leather stuff and be proud of it. And, uh, uh, yeah, and who knows where it'll go. Absolutely. So do you believe there's a role for more organisations like bootstraps to support veterans? Yep. I clearly do. I can see that Bootstraps has its niche and as I was talking with you prior to this podcast, I believe that everyone should have a niche market around various aspects of mental health and, and Sam alluded to that earlier too, that people who, who are in the Somali War can relate to people in the Somali War. Vietnam vets can relate to Vietnam vets. So I think there's a very important place for 
uh, niche groups to help provide that support and care for people. So why can they be so effective? I think we've pretty much answered this question, but it is stuff, maybe we can just fill it down. Why can they be so effective? Um, I think they are effective because it's not face-to-face confrontation. Some people, typically males, find it very difficult to sit down and have a conversation with somebody, looking them in the eye, having those raw emotions on your face. That makes you really vulnerable, and that is a very challenging position to put yourself in. Whereas if you're in an organisation, whether it be bootstraps or something else, and you're focusing on sitting down at your desk, doing your leather work, you're having a conversation side to side, you're focusing on something else, it's not confrontational, it's not direct, you might just slip something into conversation and you know if you tear up for a minute, no one's going to call you on it and they're not going to see that and you know they're not going to see that and then you can recover and keep talking or go back and talk about the leather work project that you're working on. So in that respect, it makes it a very effective tool for helping people to open up and communicate their feelings better. So we've come up with a few words here. There's care, there's support, but now you're talking about empathy as well because you know that you're going into an environment where people will understand. Deep down, you know that. And um, one of the things that humans want more than anything else is empathy. We don't necessarily need help. We don't necessarily need, need a solution, but if you empathise with me and my issues, then I'm a big way down the track. So those kinds of things, and we don't necessarily request empathy. We don't go sticking it out, but when it's there, it is so wonderful to be blessed with someone's empathy. And it's not sympathy, it's empathy, just that someone understands what I'm going through. Yeah, and that feeling like we have been seen and heard but as I said, without it being confrontational because everybody wants to be seen and be heard and that's one of the biggest things in depression is that feeling that you're not being seen and you're not being heard and you're not worthwhile as a person. So it gives you a safe environment to counteract all of those things. So care, support, empathy, safety at your own time, at your own choosing, if you want to address something. Yep. So it's a choice. Highly skilled and motivated defence personnel, upon retirement from the ADF, must have access to meaningful work. Veterans cannot be courageously defending our nation this week, and then in the next week after leaving, be left with a void. As I've already said, military training and active service is experience that reshapes people's life. Only veterans know what veterans have been through. Our courageous servicemen and servicewomen need to know that Australians understand the vulnerabilities and frailties that can come from active service. Our veterans need better care and a sense of honour and urgency from support agencies. We need more organisations like Bootstraps that are veterans for veterans, receiving funding in our communities. The Royal Commission into Defence and Veteran Suicide needs to deliver for the men and women who have fought for our country. Veterans and all ex-service men and women need better mental health and transitional support. Our nation needs improved ways for veterans who are not actively seeking support to identify and get such needed support that Defence Force personnel and families deserve. Thank you for joining me, Senator Malcolm Roberts, on Our Nation Today.